Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I'm, I'm Ryan, as Jude was saying, part of the, part of the team uh, and Redeemer here. And um, this is our, our second week of a series that we're beginning. It's going to be, I think, a six-week series leading us up to the beginning of Lent called uh, Practicing Presence. Uh, and we're going to be looking at a number of um, spiritual disciplines, really, that will aid us in our lives as we practice the presence of God. Last week, Dave opened up the series um, by looking at the, the practice of fasting. And he, he talked to us um, using a few images, um, one of those being uh, Dorothy out of The Wizard of Oz, who was constantly yearning uh, to get back to Kansas. Uh, and he talked about how we have this kind of inbuilt GPS coordinate to our hearts that are constantly almost longing for a home. Uh, and indeed, we get to see that played out in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden when they um, are walking with God in uninterrupted presence in the garden uh, until they are separated from his presence. And it's like we are left with this inbuilt longing to always get back to that place of uninterrupted presence with God. Um, we've got it written on our hearts in a sense. Um, so the takeaway from last week was just that, that there's this truth that can only really be caught, I suppose, and not really taught, that you know, we as followers of Jesus are to like, set our intention upon living a life that is marked by the presence of the practice, the practice of the presence of God. And that should become like the foundation and the jumping off point for all else that happens in our lives. Dave kind of poked fun at himself last week as he told us a story about his really poor museum visiting planning skills. Um, and if you want to hear about that, go dial in, listen to that talk from last week again. Um, I would urge you to do that if you did miss it uh, last week, actually, because we're going into this week of prayer and fasting. This morning, I'm going to be talking about the practice of prayer, practicing the presence of God through prayer. But Dave talked about practicing the presence of God through fasting last week. And so if you missed it last week and you want to participate in what we're doing as a community this week, um, in a week of prayer and fasting, then do catch up on that, um, as I say. Um, so this morning, as I say, I'm going to be looking at practicing the presence of God through prayer. And I can't really do justice to a topic like prayer within just sort of 30, a short 30 minutes, but it might be a little bit all over the place this morning. I hope not. I hope it comes together as a kind of cohesive um, communication. But we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say about prayer. We're going to be looking at what Scripture has to say about prayer and also what the church tradition has to say about prayer. And I kind of hope to build a foundation um, picking up where we left off last week, really. So... Um, to get us started this morning, I want to talk about um, appetites and desires. Um, broadly speaking, our appetites and desires that we, we all have are designed to be a good thing for us when they're healthy, aren't they? You know, our appetites and our desires keep us alive when you think about it. When you get hungry, you go looking for some food to to satisfy your appetite for food. Um, and you get thirsty, you go looking for a drink to slake your thirst and it keeps you alive. You might also say when you desire your wife and you want to get close to her that eventually you might end up you know, propagating the, you know, the human species. And that's a good desire as well when it's within the right context. So, 
It's true, we all have appetites and desires. If we take an honest enough... <laughs> Apologies, dude, we can edit this out of, the, out of the audio. I think if we take an honest enough look at ourselves, you know, we can see that in large part we as human beings, we're ruled by our appetites and our desires, and sometimes they get a little bit out of whack. They can get a little bit unhealthy. Maybe, maybe think about your own life and those things that maybe consciously or unconsciously rule you. Maybe it's uh, your desire for chocolate. Maybe it's your desire for stuff, for possessions, for, for new clothes or the latest car or the latest stuff that you want to fill your house with. Maybe it's your desire for sexual gratification, whether you're single, you're married, or you're dating. Maybe it's a desire for affirmation or to be seen as successful. Maybe um, you're of the millennial generation, which I'm not, apparently I'm Gen X, but millennials apparently it's not all about stuff, it's all about new experiences. Maybe that's the kind of desire and appetite that you're trying to satisfy. You see, we live in a world that is satiated, I think, a world where many of our appetites and our desires can be temporarily satisfied pretty much instantaneously. Or maybe it's as quick as that latest Amazon Prime parcel arrives in your doorstep, or maybe it's the time it takes to open an app like Tinder and set up that next date. Or maybe it's that Insta post or that TikTok post that gets the required amount of attention. You probably, you probably get the picture here. We live in this kind of instantaneous satisfaction culture today. I've been thinking about it a wee bit recently this week in preparation for today. And um, I think it's true that in our kind of post Christian individualistic secular context, that's kind of the, the water that we're swimming in in these days, that we're generally told to say yes to our desires, aren't we? We're told that we can actually have it all. We can have everything that we want. We can hunt down that specific piece of clothing that we need to finish off that killer outfit, and it's so cheap, in fact, we'll buy two, one in black and one in brown, you know? We can gorge ourselves on news and current affairs, all the news and current affairs that we want to, working ourselves up like Dave talked about last week into this state of anxiety over the way that our world is. I think the human heart maybe isn't designed to hold all of that. We're not designed to carry the weight of all the world's troubles that we get exposed to. We become deeply traumatized by the scenes of a burning planet, of famine, of war, and of natural disaster. And yet, on the other hand, we become so overwhelmed by it that we just end up numbing out, either by treating the news as a kind of entertainment or medicating ourselves with the latest Netflix series or another glass of wine or escapism into something else. Some of us easily fall into the trap, I think, like I do, of that numbed out kind of social media circle flicking endlessly through your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, your YouTube feeds, looking for the next fix of kind of 15 minutes of information that will satisfy you temporarily until you off you go again, looking for the next hit. We become this kind of numbed out, satiated people, I think, today. 
But it, we all know, I think, that it's a satisfaction that isn't actually lasting. It's never going to fill the void of longing that we feel we may have at our center if we take the time to look. We can pick up that glass of wine. We can spend the money on that outfit that we really need. We can consume the pornography. We can hunt down any conceivable piece of esoteric knowledge that we desire. It doesn't really matter, but what it does is this kind of exposes our hearts as these idol-making factories that are yearning for home. As an exercise this week, I kind of stopped quite a few times this week and began to observe my own self and how I'm being pulled this way and that by my desires and appetite. And I tell you what, it wasn't pretty to do that. Actually, I went through quite a battle this week as I was preparing for today and this week of prayer and fasting that we're going on into. When you actually stop and begin to become aware of how your heart is pulled this way and that after whatever it is that is drawing your attention, you see just how bent out of shape you actually are. But I think that the story of God actually tells us that our hearts are able to find fulfillment somewhere. And in contrast to the way of the world, the cruciform way of Jesus tells us that it involves dying to ourselves, finding a true source of life and satisfaction in Christ, actually. Dave said it last week about that we've got these kind of inbuilt GPS coordinates that cause us to seek out a place to find a resting place for our hearts. Most of the time when we do this, we take something good in and of itself and we make something, make it into something that it was never meant to be. We make an idol out of it in our lives. I think something that we've actually forgotten in the Western church is that the way of Jesus, it actually allows us to say no rather than yes to our desires and our appetites. The way of Jesus recognizes something that the world is fairly oblivious to, that in saying no instead of yes to our appetites, we create a margin for allowing ourselves to become aware that God is actually present with us. When we say, shall I change mics? Let me stop here a wee minute. This, is, this mic's annoying me. Apologies. All good. Let me start again. Not from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I think something that we've forgotten um, in the way of Jesus, that we actually are invited to say no rather than yes to our desires and our appetites. The way of Jesus recognizes something that the world is fairly oblivious to. That in saying no, instead of saying yes to our appetites and our desires, that we're actually able to create margin in our lives for allowing ourselves to become aware that God is actually present with us. When we say no, an aperture is formed, an opening is created in our lives where the Holy Spirit can come and take up residence. You see, the, the human heart 
Scripture tells us, was created to find its truest resting place in the presence of God and in the person of Christ. That is our home. That is home for us. He is home for us. These longings and desires that we all experience as human beings tell us something about what we were made for. King David in the Psalms probably puts it best when he says this in a few different places. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? And he says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. This longing for God, once we actually become aware that that is what we have actually been longing for all along, is able to find its voice and expression in prayer, which is what we're going to be talking about this morning. There's something beautifully simple about the practice of prayer, and yet I think if many of us are honest with ourselves, we're maybe slightly none the wiser about this ancient practice. But we have this calling upon us as the people of God to be a people of prayer. And actually as a community of God's people that inhabit this particular part of the city, we believe as a leadership team that God has specifically called us to be a house of prayer right here in the midst of the city, in this place in Belfast. And so we've carved out that little space in the room behind me out there that we'll be using this week in our week of prayer and fasting. I want to talk this morning about prayer in a few ways, but really the underpinning thought about prayer that I hope to communicate can be distilled down to the title of this teaching this morning, which is practicing presence through prayer. Hopefully, we all understand that at its most basic level, prayer is just communication with God. I think there's this intuition, this instinct that's common to all of us as human beings that is as simple making our petitions known to God. Whatever religion, whatever nationality, whatever tribe or tongue uh, you are, we all have this instinct that prayer is as simple, making our requests known to God. Any of you, hold on, my, my, my pages are a bit messed up here, I'm afraid. This is a disaster, isn't it? Excuse me. Give me a second. Yeah, sorry. So if that's making our simple request known to God is our starting point in prayer, there is actually a whole lot more for us to discover. And Jesus, when he taught about prayer in, in scripture, it's something like 90% of what he had to say about prayer was referred to, he was referring to just prayer as simple petition, just asking God for things. And this is a good thing for us to practice in our lives. It speaks of our dependence upon God. It cultivates gratitude in our lives. It moves us away from self-sufficiency and it brings us closer to the realization that every good gift that we receive really does come down from the Father of lights. 
Petitionary prayer is this basic spiritual discipline in the life of a believer, but perhaps a look at the role that prayer played in the life of Jesus will, help, will be helpful for us to look at this morning as we think about this. You see, Jesus throughout scripture is described as having this life of prayer. Again and again, we read of Jesus slipping away to the mountain or to the wilderness or to a secluded place to pray. Sometimes he went away at nighttime and he prayed all night to his father. Sometimes he got up early and he slipped away. Luke tells us that Jesus would often just slip away to the wilderness and pray. You can imagine this picture of the disciples walking along or in a particular town or village and Jesus would all of a sudden just nip off and he would be seeking time with his father on his own. This is the same Jesus who was God in himself. He said that the father was in him and he was in the father, yet in the fullness of Jesus' own humanity, he was in so need of connection to his father that he was also always looking for opportunity to get in his own to be with him. You know, I think if we think about Jesus and his, his ministry, that he was under an awful lot of stress and strain in his ministry. And poor Jesus, he had to go and get alone with God, get alone with his father, just to make this life of ministry possible. I think we're perhaps getting it a little bit wrong. I think that prayer was probably Jesus's great joy. I think Jesus couldn't wait to get away to be in his father's presence, communing with him in his humanity without the distractions of the crowds that were around him. It was his great delight and joy to find time to sneak off in the morning or at night to find a quiet place without distraction where he could bring all of his longings, all of his sorrows and wants and joys to the feet of his father. And I think for any of you in this room who have tasted the, the sweet intimacy that can be found um, in the secret place with God in your own lives will understand this, where prayer moves from becoming this mechanical wish list and into a place that you long to be sitting at the feet of your father. If we look at prayer with the eyes of the distracted kind of... Um, the eyes of distraction that we're, we can so easily come at it with in this, um, sorry, give me a second. If we look at this with the eyes of people who are constantly filling our lives with distractions, we're going to see this as an unachievable way of life. But I think we've got it all wrong if that's our perception. I think this morning the Holy Spirit might want to invite us into tearing down that lie, that spending time in the presence of God, just wasting our time in the presence of God is a missing out on life. Time spent seeking the presence of God in prayer is never wasted time. It's how we begin to experience and understand intimacy with the Father. It's the primary means of cultivating relationship with Him. There's a saying that goes something like, only you have your own personal history with God. And that's so true. I think we all have our own personal history with God, our story with God, the things he has shown us, the things he has spoken to us, the love he has lavished upon us, the joy that he has imparted to us. 
I wonder how many of us in this room are able to talk about our own history with the Lord, moments where he showed us something in scripture or simply quieted our troubled souls with his peace, moments where truth was dropped into our hearts in a fresh way. But that's not the whole story of prayer. Paul, the Apostle Paul, talked about praying without ceasing, and we're going to talk about praying without ceasing, or prayer as listening, as I'm calling it this morning. Um, I'm going to let Henry Nyon, who was something of a modern mystic and contemplative, speak to this for a moment. He said this in a quote, um, to pray, I think, does not mean to think about God in contrast to thinking about other things or to spend time with God instead of spending time with other people. Rather, it means to think and live in the presence of God. As soon as we begin to divide our thoughts into thoughts about God and thoughts about people and events, we remove God from our daily life and put it in a pious little niche where we can think pious thoughts and experience pious feelings. Although it is important and even indispensable for the spiritual life to set apart time for God and God alone, prayer can only become unceasing prayer when all our thoughts, beautiful and ugly, high or low, proud or shameful, sorrowful or joyful, can be thought in the presence of God, thus converting our unceasing thinking into unceasing prayer. It moves us from self-centered monologue to a God-centered dialogue. This requires that we turn all our thoughts into conversation. And I, I, as I was thinking about that quote, I remembered one of the trips that we took down to the Benedictine Monastery in Rus Trevor. Um, some of you may have been down there on, a, on retreat um, at one time or another in Redeemer. And in the monastery there, they have taken a rule of silence uh, as an order, which can be a little bit disconcerting on your first visit down. Um, you're served your food in silence by these monks who live a, in this rule of silence, and you eat your meal in silence, and it's all a little bit uncomfortable. But it wasn't until Brother Thierry, one of the monks there, described to us what was actually going on, that what they were doing was practicing a life of active listening. Um, when they were doing this, they were practicing the presence of God, in a sense, in all things. This life of taking on the rule of silence was actually a life of listening. A God awareness had pervaded their everyday tasks, whether they were preparing food or making candles or painting icons or whatever it is that monks do throughout the day. Um, what they are doing is practicing the presence of God through a con contemplative life. And I think that we are invited to do the same. It doesn't have to be shut away in a monastery in a beautiful valley in Ross Trevor. We can learn to live our lives saturated in the presence of God, just opening our awareness in the day-to-day -day things to God who is with us at all times. I wanna talk next about prayer as persistence. I don't think really for us all that it's <clears throat> overly important where we begin cultivating a life of praying without ceasing, as the Apostle Paul called it. But I think it is important that we do begin to do it in some sense. We need to cultivate a persistence in prayer. 
I don't think I have mastered this at all. There have been some things that have been useful to me along the way using particular liturgies and, and uh, prayer books that we actually sell at the back of the building here. But um, if we look at the life of Jesus and his teaching, Jesus had something to say about persistence in prayer. He used um, a couple of images throughout Scripture to talk about this. Um, he taught us, his, when his disciples asked him, teach us to pray, he of course taught them the, the Lord's Prayer. And we've talked about that in previous teachings um, that you can maybe find online if you wish to get into that. But Jesus used these, a number of teaching images whenever he was talking about um, this kind of petition, this persistent petitionary prayer. He talks about God being like a friend that you go to borrow bread from at midnight. The friend tells you, in effect, to get lost, but you go on knocking anyway until he finally gives you what you want so that he can just get back to bed again. Or God is like this crooked judge who refuses to hear the case of a certain poor widow, probably because there was nothing in it for the judge himself. But she keeps on harassing him until he finally hears her just to get her off his back. Or Jesus says, if we won't give a stone instead of bread or a serpent instead of a fish to our kids when they ask us for something, how much more will our Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We're to ask, we are to seek, we are to knock, we are to be persistent in prayer. I like how Frederick Buchner puts it. He says this. He says, believe somebody, capital S, somebody is listening. Believe in miracles. That's what Jesus told the father who asked him to heal his epileptic son. Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father spoke for us all when he answered, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But what about when the boy is not healed? When listening to or not listened to, the prayer goes unanswered. Who knows? Just keep praying, Jesus said. Remember the sleepy friend and the crooked judge? Even if the boy dies, keep on beating the path to God's door. Because the one thing you can be sure of is that down the path you beat, with even your most half-cocked and halting prayer, the God you call upon will finally come. Persistence in prayer. It's fascinating to me that every great move of God, every awakening, every renewal that the Holy Spirit brings to the church that then affects the culture and the society of the day is preceded by a faithful remnant of people who set their faces toward the Lord and pray for him to come with persistence. You know, we're talking in this series about practicing the presence of God through spiritual disciplines that will aid us in our spiritual formation. And that's a wonderful thing to be a people who cultivate and practice the presence of God as the priority of our lives. I am all in on that. But I'm also all in on praying with persistence that the Father would have mercy on us and would visit us with his manifest presence with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. There are these stories that you can read of great awakenings 
and renewals in the history of the church that are all marked by this fact that God was tangibly present in an unusual way. And with that, the Spirit brings repentance and joy and salvation and all the other sometimes surprising manifestations that accompany God moving upon frail humanity. I think that we forget this or we've never seen it. So our numbed imaginations think that this is all there is. God forbid that in our cynicism, we might actually even resist it when it comes. I want some of that. I want an awakening of the church in these days. I want God to pour out his Holy Spirit on us, to give us, to breathe upon us, to breathe life into a dry and a weary church. We need the Spirit to breathe on us in these days. I've mentioned a few times recently up here that I love reading accounts of past moves of God. And um, I've been reading the account of the Hebridean revival, which happened about 70 years ago in the Hebrides Islands, just off Scotland. And here's a little account of how that particular move of God started. And there's gonna be a picture that comes up here of two sisters, Peggy and Christine Smith. Look at those beauties there. Peggy and Christine Smith, they were this, these two sisters, 84 and 82 years old. Peggy was completely blind and Christine was bent over with arthritis. They were burdened due to the depressed spiritual state in their Barvis Village Church. They sensed the Lord speaking to them from Scripture in Isaiah 44, verse 3. That's, that verse says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. This led them to pray in their small cottage two to three nights per week, 10 p.m. until 3 a.m. After several weeks of praying like this, Peggy had a vision of her church being crowded with young people and an unknown minister preaching from the pulpit. He ended up being the guy in the middle there, Duncan, Duncan Campbell. Peggy then sent for their minister, the Reverend James Murray McKay. She told him they sensed the Lord was going to send a revival and he must get his church leaders to spend every Tuesday and Friday night in prayer and that they would pray simultaneously in their cottage, which they did. Then this account of one of those meetings um, weeks into praying for the Lord to come. Immediately at about 3 a.m., the presence of God gripped every person present. It wasn't only them that sensed, sensed this, for the entire village and larger surrounding area sensed that same awareness of God. The following day, everyone was absorbed by the reality of eternal things. That group of intercessors left the barn at that early hour and found men and women kneeling along the roads, crying out to God for mercy. Every home had, it, had lights on in it and as no one could sleep with the awareness of God being so overwhelming. It sounds so foreign to us, doesn't it, in many ways? But I think that if we allow our imaginations to be awakened, that God can move in incredible ways. And that if we begin to pray for that, to set our faces toward that, we may just see that he comes and meets us in that. 
Persistence in prayer is a value that we should grab a hold of in these days. I think a persistent practicing the presence of God through a life marked by praying without ceasing is the only sustainable platform for us to do that. Otherwise, exhaustion would overtake us and an enthusiasm that draws its strength from the wrong source would find us exhausted. I don't know what the next move of God is going to look like, but I think that we should pray and remain open that he may move in a surprising way in the days ahead. I want to talk also this morning about prayer as participation. To help us think about what prayer is like in the kingdom of God, let's think about it this way. Think about a sports ground or a stadium. The only kind of sport that I'm vaguely interested in is the fight game. So I enjoy boxing and I enjoy the UFC. I'm completely clueless when it comes to football. Don't ever talk to me about football or rugby. You'll just get this blank stare as I clock out. Generally speaking, at a fight or at a sports match, there are two main groups of people, aren't there? There's the observers, and then there's those who've got some skin in the game or in the, some, the, the, those who are contending in a ring in the illustration that I'm going to use this morning. There are those participating in the fight, and there are those who are spectating. I think there's something about setting your heart and your face toward the Lord in prayer that means that you end up with some skin in the fight. You move from a position of being a spectator and into a position of being embroiled in the fight. I think this is an invitation this morning to some of you to move from being in the position of being a spectator and into having some skin in the fight. Some of you in this room are called to intercede on behalf of this community and the city in which we find ourselves. Some of you are called to petition God for an outpouring of his Holy Spirit in these days. I want to put that call out to you this morning. We've heard Gillian is going to be running a little prayer course in a few weeks' time. And I would encourage you to connect with Gillian if that is you. I want you to get out your phones at the end of this gathering and get clocked into the prayer room this week if you can. Find some space in your week and get signed up to get down to the prayer room this week. Why don't we set our faces toward the Lord? Why don't we get some skin in the game and move from being a spectator and into a participant? Finally, I want to talk about prayer's resistance this morning. See, participating in prayer is also a way of practicing resistance against the rising tide of cultural secularism in our day. There's this uh, pastor who's also a bit of a prophet and a cultural commentator called Mark Sayers, and he describes it like this. He says, the church in the West has two options. Imagine the church is like an army on a shore. It's like we've got the sea to our backs and our boats have been burned. And ahead of us, there's the onslaught of an increasingly hostile, secularized culture. Our only choice, we have two choices. Our only choice really is to go to our knees in prayer, seeking a fresh awakening, a fresh move of the Spirit. Otherwise, 
The other choice that the church has is that it can be swallowed up and assimilated into the culture, rendering her spiritually impotent. I think that's a particularly powerful image for the moment that the church in the West finds herself in these days. I think it's something that should send us to our knees in prayer. And yet, and yet, the great theologian Jürgen Moltmann puts it like this. He says, the dream of a liberator and the dream of peace is not merely a dream. The liberator is already present and his power is already among us. We can follow him even today, making visible something of the peace, liberty, and righteousness of the kingdom, he will complete. It is no longer impossible. It is no longer impossible. We, were, we must remember, I think, that all our prayer, all our practicing the presence is in the confidence that the liberator is already present and his power is all ready at work in us and among us. Jesus has surely finished his work. He finished his work 2,000 years ago on the cross, and we live not only in the knowledge of his saving, liberating, reconciling work, but also in the confidence that he will complete it. The work is no longer impossible. Believe in miracles, Redeemer Central, as Frederick Buchner said earlier. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to sing as we finished and break bread as we do every week. Can I invite you to stand as we finish? Just, just a final word on prayer as we wrap up this morning. And whatever our spiritual practices as Jesus followers, it's not just about our own self-betterment or self-improvement. I think there's a temptation for us to get caught up in this today. These ancient spiritual practices, they're not primarily just a form of self-therapy for us. I think that for them to be a truly Christian practice, they actually need to be about losing sight of ourselves and being caught up in the vision of Christ. He is the object of our contemplation. He is the beatific vision that the mystics throughout the ages were fixated upon and had experience of. Let me commend you this morning that all of our prayers, all our contemplations and meditations, all our practicing the presence of God is rooted in a Christ-saturated, Christ-centered, Christ-adoring vision. I think the only way for us to become a non-anxious presence in an exhausted world is to root ourselves and for us to gaze upon the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus. Why don't you close your eyes and I'll pray before we sing and break bread together. You know, I love the words of 
Psalm 27, which form a part of my own um, prayer discipline, I suppose. The words are, One thing I have asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Jesus, forgive my faltering words this morning as I try to grasp something to say about this beautiful practice of prayer, this lifeline that we have to you, Jesus. Thank you that you are with us, Jesus, by your Spirit. Thank you that we are called to be a people of your presence, marked out by your presence, carriers of your presence, a people who are rooted in your presence to mediate your peace and your love and your mercy and your grace to a world that so desperately needs us. Jesus, we confess this morning that so often our appetites and the desires of our hearts are not primarily rooted in you. Jesus, would you forgive us for that this morning? Jesus, would you afresh come to us this morning? Would you take our hearts this morning and breathe life into them? Jesus, would you, would you lift the veil that covers the eyes of some of our hearts this morning and cause us to gaze upon you with the eyes of our hearts? Allow us to find our satisfaction in you this morning, Jesus. Bend us toward yourself. Jesus, I pray that this week would be marked out by a fresh hunger that would rise up in our hearts to ask for you to come to visit your church, to pour out your spirit upon dry and weary hearts, to renew us in your presence, Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you have given us your, the symbols of bread and wine, your broken body, your shed blood, through which we have found freedom, through which we have found reconciliation with you, through which we have found healing for our hearts, Jesus, as we come to the table this morning, we ask that you would be especially present to us. Would you mediate your presence to us through the bread and the wine, through our sharing of that with each other? We bless your name. Amen.